Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Digital Audio Health by... Cymatrax. Welcome to the Rhonda Grant Show with your host, Rhonda Grant. If you believe that there is more to life than what you see right now and you want to find out more, listen in as her guests share their journey and their extraordinary experiences. Now, here is your host, Rhonda Grant. Welcome to the Rhonda Grant Show. Sometimes the universe has a way of placing people or obstacles in your path to help guide and direct you on your mission. Listen in as we discover the path my guest has traveled. Has she been inspired by a calling, crafted her journey, or a bit of both? I invite you to embrace the conversations and to use them to help you recognize if this is happening in your life. Our guest today is Samantha Louise. Samantha is a leadership cultivator guiding girls and young women to become natural-born leaders. She is a best-selling author and a 2016 Minnesota Teacher of the Year. Her approach to leadership and learning offers hands-on experience to develop selfhood for self-leadership, sisterhood for healthy relationships, and leaderhood to inspire change in the world around us. Every workshop, retreat, and lesson offered by Samantha incorporates whole person well-being, cultural mind-body science, and interface spiritual practices. Samantha has been featured on such popular podcasts as She's Invincible, The Influential Woman, and Rural Health Leadership Radio to discuss demasculizing women, healing through vulnerable justice, and new perspectives on leadership. From a farm in rural America, Samantha is a small town girl with a worldwide vision to transform leadership, development, and personal empowerment for the next generation female leaders from every corner of the globe. Welcome to the Rhonda Grant Show, Samantha Louise. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited for this conversation. Well, we are going to have fun for sure. And we've talked about uh, you being a high-level athlete. And what I'm wondering is, what transferable skills uh, did you bring to what you're doing today? I think the most important or the most prevalent, at least in my life, has been focus, focus and precision. So I think um, becoming an athlete and learning uh, how to let the mind and the body talk to each other, how to discover that proprioceptive awareness or the kinesthetic awareness that mm -hmm. athletes need to be so good right. um, to, to know exactly when to move a teeny tiny little part of your body or how to move your body one direction while your eyes are looking a different direction. Oh my that, that control of self uh, with such precision and such focus that if even for 
a moment just for one breath if you lose that focus it all falls apart falls apart so I'd say focus and precision is one Um, and then the drive to be able to set a goal and have objectives lined up to meet your goals and not back down even when things are tough even when it feels like you should give up there's something Mm -hmm. inside of you that says no I can do this I know how to get there, even if I need to be a little more flexible or develop strength in a new way. If I just keep pushing, I will get there. And um, when, we, when you say when yeah. things get tough, you mean when things get really tough. Right. Mm-hmm. Really tough. Like really moments tough. of, I don't know if I can roll out of my bed this morning. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I can think straight. I might be crazy. Mm-hmm. But you have to tune in and get it done. So you do. Mm-hmm. Because yeah. uh, there's people depending on you, right? Correct. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And and um, it becomes coded within you that you have a responsibility then. It's not just going out to play a fun game or um, have some recreational time. There's something on the line. There's something at stake. Right. And it's your responsibility to show up and and own up to that and give back to those who have given so much to you. Right. And at such a young age, too, those are big words. uh, What's at stake? Mm -hmm. Uh, You learn really young um, that uh, it doesn't that that's what's important. It's what's at stake here. Mm -hmm. And so I, I like the word that you said that you're coded. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I just talk a little bit just explain that just a little bit more about being coded is it your body is being coded to respond and do this or I think it's a, a multitude it's um I, I think it's mind I think it's body I think it's spirit I think it's right, um, okay. o- overcoming a natural reaction or a natural yeah a natural reaction to respond in a way, I think of cultural conditioning, okay. right? So the culture of sports or athletics in a team context, in an individual context, it doesn't matter, but it's coded within you to push through pain. It's coded within you to ignore sometimes your intuition mm-hmm. um, and be selfless, give up self, sacrifice self for the good of the team or do things that you otherwise maybe wouldn't Mm -hmm. because a coach has it as part of their plan. Right. Or something that makes you feel uncomfortable or unsafe, um, but it's called pushing past your comfort zone. So all of a sudden these things become normalized and they become um, a vision of what makes you a good, healthy, strong person. Even though stepping out of that context of athletics Mm -hmm a lot of times it leaves you reeling because it wreaks those norms begin to wreak havoc on the way that you think the way that you perceive the world, the way that you assume other people are going to show up to perform and compete the same way that you do. And when they don't, you get mad at them. (laughs) You feel let down, you Mm -hmm. feel betrayed, whatever it is. There's always this element of do better do it faster, do it with more elegance and precision, have a better strategy. 
everything becomes about the competition and ultimately the win. Mm-hmm. So instead of, um, I mean, of course you collaborate with a team, but there's always, always that element of who wins and who loses. Oh, yes. And what does it take to do that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think the coding, again, is at every level. It's in the body to move mm-hmm. and move no matter what, to get up and be awake so that it can function at its highest. Um, it's emotional in the sense that if you feel sad, if you feel angry, if you feel whatever, rather than being taught to let it go, you push it down, you ignore it, you move it to the side. So there's never a processing of emotions. It's just react and go very primal, primal to survive. Okay. Right. Okay. Yeah. So that's how, that's how I think of it. Think of the coding process and even just talking about it, like feeling some of it come back in the body. Mm -hmm. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. well it's 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 muscle memory right like you yeah. remember all of that yeah. so so when you say about um you know your body making your body perform a you know a very precision movement mm-hmm. when your eyes are looking a different way which means you have to trust what you're doing you're, you have to trust your body to do that precision movement, even though your eyes are looking a different way. Um, that's such a high skill to have something like that. I mean, normal people walking around in the streets and going to the mall, they don't, they don't have that skill, right? Mm-hmm. And so your, your brain, your body, and your spirituality are all involved in this, yes. right? Yes. Um, can you speak more to that, what that feels like when you, um, it's a social conditioning within the team. If you don't show up, you don't do your best and, and there's some anger and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, your body must also lay that down in the muscles as, as well as the training of the muscles at that high level. Mm-hmm. Do you think that's what's going on? Yeah, I think so. Absolutely. And um, for me, when you talk about the body doing one thing while the eyes or the mind and the emotions, the strategic part of you is doing something else. Right. I think specifically of the first time that I was at a volleyball camp. Okay. And I was at a, uh, an elite camp. I was a setter on the volleyball team. Right. So wow. I, ran, I ran the court, essentially. Right. Mm-hmm. And most people think volleyball is just like bump the ball up into the air and hopefully someone can slam it down on the other side of the court, Mm -hmm. (laughs) not realizing that you have different defenses, you have different offenses, Um, your libero or defensive specialist is working with your setter in a certain language that you develop the setters working with hitters, the blockers are telling being told by the back row what to do. There's this whole different communication system and thinking about as a setter paying attention to whoever is about to pass the ball to me I need to know the angle of that where the ball's coming from I need to know how many hitters I have what system they're running on the court 
make sure I'm out of their way so that they can do their job. Mm-hmm. <laughs> also pay attention to the blockers on the other side of the court to see where they're at, to see if I can set the ball in a way that can trick them and leave okay. one of my hitters with a better opportunity to kill and score. <laughs> wow. So all of these things happening all at once. Um, and it's so intense all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and always trying to, of course, outsmart or wear down mm-hmm. the competitor um, with that precision and focus and drive again so that we can win. Mm-hmm. But it also takes me then to when I was a junior in high school, um, there was a season I decided, a winter season, I decided not to play basketball because in the winter I played basketball as well. And I started going to yoga mm-hmm. with my volleyball coach and my Spanish teacher. Wow. <laughs> and I'll never, ever forget the very first yoga class I went to because we got there and the yoga instructor immediately was like, wow, you have such, nat- you're, you're, you're such a natural athlete. Right. And it was a restorative class. So it was all just laying on the floor, holding poses and postures for extended periods of time. And when we got to the meditation at the end, I mean, it was a 10 minute, 10 minute meditation, right? So laying on the floor, I don't know where I went, but it's like I had gone to a different planet. Yes. And I woke up at the end of the meditation when we're invited back to the present moment. And I felt like I had been drugged or something because I had never, ever let my body and my mind go. I'd never released in a, in a way like that um, at a mind, body, spiritual level. So it was right. just, that was an introduction for me into this, a new way of thinking and being. And even though I continued with athletics for several more years, from that moment on, there was always kind of this inner conflict going on with knowing that I had some other kind of needs to be met, but I didn't know how to meet them myself because I was always being coached to do something different, right? The advice and and what I was being told and driven to do never matched what that yoga instructor had offered me, which was expression and letting go and releasing. Well, and transcendence. Yeah, right. (laughs) So it was just, yeah, that, I, that, that was a profound moment for me. Did it scare you? Yeah, it freaked me out because I thought maybe something was wrong with me. And I remember on the drive back home, sitting in the back seat of the vehicle, having a little snack, and it's like I didn't want to eat, yet I felt famished. Mm-hmm. And I didn't want to drink anything, but I was so thirsty. Right. And as this introduction to like, I I just felt so exhausted and I couldn't talk and I couldn't process what was happening in the conversations on the way back home. Right. And I got home and I crashed. Like I went to bed and I just, I just slept for so long. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, Mm -hmm. it was amazing. And it scared me. It freaked me out, Mm -hmm. but I liked the feeling. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, um, being a high-level athlete, where uh, what's most important is you being in your body mm-hmm. and reacting and being coached into 
go to a yoga class, yoga class and having a meditation where you transcend, which uh, people spend their lifetimes trying to actually get to that point. How do you do it? I mean, you know, you mm-hmm. can teach that for sure. Um, but it was so alien to what you were used to mm-hmm. that it's hard to understand it. And, um, uh, you know, transcendental meditation. And usually when people are in a group and they're doing that, there's somebody there who can check you and make you sure, make sure that you're okay mm-hmm. and let you know that this is okay, that this is happening, right? Mm-hmm. Because yeah. unless you de- debrief with someone, you could have thought that you had an isolated incident and that it wasn't, it wasn't a normal thing to do. And now you have, your body has to rest and restore and make sense of what just happened. Yeah, absolutely. And so interesting. I've never thought about this, but even as like on our volleyball team, we had an awesome coach, uh, like groundbreaking in women's athletics when she was an athlete herself. So she knew the power of meditation and she brought it into our practice as a volleyball team but our meditation was as a group. So as a team, we laid in a a circle together at the end of practice, turned the lights down in the gym. And we had a song like every, every season we had a new song for the team. Fantastic. And and the meditation was visualizing ourselves as a, as a cohesive team on the court. Mm -hmm. Right. So it was, again, the, the focus and the function was about the performance as a team instead of the letting go and the processing. So that's also a very interesting way of coding um, the thought process and the performance process for us. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yes. And at the time uh, that you were a high level athlete, uh, that type of extra training or higher level training was coming into these types of practices so that you could using um, this meditation Uh, is visualizing yourself winning, visualizing all that sort of stuff. So it was still another tool that had to do with Mm -hmm. the sport. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I, I think I remember, I remember um, moments after that, like we would be done with practice, we would do our visualization. And there were always, of course, different styles and different flavors of each team. And I can distinctly remember, as we discussed earlier, the energy of the team or the court, um, the, exactly. the, te- right, the yes. teams okay. where everybody on the team was super driven in that way. Mm-hmm. And those meditations had a totally different in-body and out-of-body experience, where at the end of the season, if we heard our song, everyone... And still to this day, mm-hmm. we hear that song from that season and it's emotional. Like mm-hmm. I still cry when I hear some of those songs. Yes. And then other teams that I was on, we had our song, but the energy was more like, this is a joke. This is stupid. Oh. Right. Oh. So I hear that song and it's, okay. it's, it's feel emotional memories of anger and resentment and frustration mm-hmm. and longing for the teams that were connected and driven together. Mm -hmm. So even exploring that emotional response from um, teams that were more serious or less serious at such a young age Mm -hmm. about the competition is also quite interesting. 
Mm-hmm. You said something really interesting. Did you have an awareness that different teams had different energies when you competed against them? Like, did you find that, let's leave it at that. Uh, was there a, a, a sort of like a cohesive energy that a certain group had that you competed against? Yes. And was that energy different from your energy? And were you able to identify that and know this is going to be a rough, tough game by feeling that type of energy coming into the gymnasium or onto the court or wherever you were practicing? Yeah, absolutely. And, and uh, I think there's, of course, the element of the longevity of a coach, the reputation of okay that sport in a certain school or a certain program if it if it wasn't associated with the school at the time Um, but of course the more the more uh, driven that a certain team was the more serious and focused they were about the end game right the The energy was just the win right yes 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 and the the energy of course then was uh, like heavier so much more intense there was so much more to be fighting for Mm -hmm. and therefore the strategy and the precision of our skills in the game became that much more important whereas I remember playing in different leagues where um, we could tell that the the girls on the other side of the court didn't know what they were doing Mm -hmm. and it's so it's kind of gross to to think back on like how you'd almost pick on them, right? It's like like animals. Again, going back to that primal level of, well, I can tell that person's not very good at passing, so I'm just going to serve at her repeatedly and pick on her until her team covers her up so she's out of the picture. Right. It's such but a it's, sick thing to think about, but that is hmm. the strategy of sport. It is, yeah. And it, and it, it is at that level as well. And uh, you're responding uh, to what you're trained uh, to respond to. Right. And, and, and that's just how it goes. And all of the teams are trained to respond that way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, I I think um, in, in moments where there weren't coaches with us, like in some of our summer leagues where in, at least in, in like American high school league standards, your coach can't coach you outside of a season. So you would go to leagues without a coach, sometimes without parents there either. Oh, And then it was a completely different, then it was even more wild. Wow. Right. Cause there was no one there to say, get focused. There was no one there to say, are you running the right offense? Try this on defense. <laughs> so the mm-hmm. energy then became almost out of control and chaotic. Okay. Yeah. Isn't that bizarre? <laughs> and unpredictable. Yeah. And, yeah. and uh, you know, and when you're with your team and you're competing in the regular season, you have a certainty about many, many things that you don't have to worry about. They're the same all of the time. Mm-hmm. And then you go out to something like that and you're like, holy, like it, you're, it's out of your comfort zone and, and yeah. you, you don't trust it. Yeah. And teenage pride and teenage energy gets involved like oh, oh yes. yeah we are independent <laughs> we know what we're doing <laughs> and you go to town and it just doesn't make any sense when you look back on it like no. who would allow that to happen <laughs> exactly but it's a thing it, yeah. it's a thing for sure 
Yeah. And so bringing um, yourself to present day, I mean, you must uh, miss um, the direction from a coach and uh, the, uh, the, the team bonding uh, with athletes who are at the same level that you're at. Yeah, I've noticed absolutely leaving college and stepping into the professional world Mm -hmm. where I've had, um, I have a different standard of how to show up and what it means to be a professional and how to advocate so that you Uh. and your team move to the next level. So starting out as a teacher, it really, really confused me going into a public school setting where I had been trained not only by coaches, but also by my professors in college at how to be the best and how to be an advocate, how to change the industry that I was stepping into and things that I thought were simple and normal, other teachers were not doing. Mm-hmm. And, and to have explored and developed and refined a philosophy of teaching and a philosophy of coaching over the course of four years in undergrad and living by those principles, but finding yes. finding that my colleagues seemed to have no standards. Right. It was confusing. Mm. It was maddening. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yes. And so, um, yeah, I mean, what you bring to the table every single day throughout your, your whole education was a level of professionalism that was in your by then it's running through your veins Mm -hmm. and it's really hard I would imagine to tolerate those that are don't seem to even realize that there is this higher level of professionalism and knowingness and of course your the whole thing is planned for the week uh, for the day for the week for the month ahead of time because that's the high standard that you have been accustomed to yeah exactly and is that yeah that and and these other people what the heck are they doing mm-hmm. right? no plans no structure right it's it felt like totally going from one world to the extreme opposite mm-hmm. um, and even bringing it to this moment right now that we're in, mm-hmm. I still feel the sense of um, the loss of identity or the lack of identity of having been in that driven world and the sports culture for so long mm-hmm. um, and noticing how my skills as an athlete, I also transferred to academics and the arts that I participated in, where it didn't matter what aspect of my life I was in, there was no room for flaw. There was no room for a mistake. So mistakes happened in private, in practice, because when it was time to show up and and be judged, Mm -hmm. it was time to be perfect. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yes. Mm -hmm. So the, the spiritual journey that that I found when I started that yoga practice, I remember taking that into college with me. I couldn't, I didn't know where else to find yoga. Mm-hmm. So I would take that, those few sessions I had been to and try to duplicate it, try to replicate it for myself. And I tried to invite like my track teammates eventually into mm-hmm. it. And all of a sudden they were embodying it and embracing it. Yes. And then in college, I found modern dance. 
And then it was like a whole new world of this somatic expression and releasing opening up for me. Um, And it was really at that point that there was a shift inside of me to say this competition thing, like I'm, I'm done with it. Yes. Not serving me anymore, but the perfectionism and the precision side of it, which Mm -hmm. to this day, I still say is one of my greatest assets and greatest gifts yet it's also quite detrimental in some moments. Oh, yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It, it certainly would be. You're listening to the Rhonda Grant Show right now, whose podcast has been treated by Digital Audio Health by my sponsor, Symatrex. And I am speaking today with Samantha about her journey as a, competitive, a high-level competitive athlete and how she's taken the skills that she's learned from her sports and transferring them into different things that she's doing with the learning that she has had in her past. Helma, you have a website that people can go and check you out? Yeah, absolutely. My name, Samantha Louise.co. That's a new prefix, right? The .co now? It's a, yeah. Yep. I'm just starting to hear that. Can you uh, talk to us about a workshop uh, that you offer? Mm-hmm. I I started a group last fall called Brave Girl. Nice. And the intention was to bring middle school girls together uh, because when I when I was a teacher, middle school was absolutely my favorite time or developmental um, age group to work with. Right. Because they were starting to realize like I'm not who my mom and dad are anymore. I'm not part of them. I am my own person, but who am I? Mm-hmm. And it's just this weird, awkward dorky kind of time frame in life for all of us. Right. <laughs> so I started this group called Brave Girl. Um, and after we ran the first few sessions, more girls were interested at different age levels. So we extended the age ages that are participating. And I had some moms ask if we could make it Brave Girl and Brave Mom. Okay. So the first Friday of every month, we get together for an hour and a half and and discuss what it's like as a girl to start exploring feelings and understand how old are how, the girls. I mean, there's some there's um, some other countries uh, that will yes. be listening uh, yeah. that they don't understand middle school. So if you can just give oh, us yeah, an yeah. age group, the youngest girl is eight. So we have girls ages eight and up, and then moms. And we are, we have gone international officially. So we have girls, girls and women from all over the world, all kinds of different cultural backgrounds. Um, And it's an open group. It's free of charge. So it's just once a month getting together, learning what it means to be in girlhood or teenhood or womanhood and an opportunity um, for girls and moms to stay connected and explore what they're experiencing in life together. That's ingenious. <laughs> I just love that. Uh, and so how may people, uh, and do, would, a, would a mom go to your website if she wanted to sign her and her daughter up? Yeah. Is there a signing up to do? Yeah, there's just a little download that you can get or just reach out to me directly and I can add you to our calendar invitation. Um, And I want the group to just grow and grow and grow. One of my biggest passions is learning to facilitate and be a really solid 
facilitator that can design experiences. Um, and I have a lot of co-facilitators in my life that, mm-hmm. that join me. So we make sure every session feels like a small, intimate, inclusive experience for everybody, no matter how many people show up, whether it's two or 200. I am just so incredible in such gratitude to you that you have thought this up because this is so needed because girls I find well males as well but they can lose themselves pretty quickly uh, Mm -hmm. during um, young adolescence and to have a program like this can you give the audience an idea of one of the things that you might discuss with with the young girls? Yeah, um, in one of our sessions, we really go deep into authenticity. So we start to ask questions, right? We start to ask questions (laughs) like, instead of what do you want to be when you grow up, who do you want to be? Who are your role models? Why are those people your role models? What are some of the things about those role models that Mm. you used to love, but maybe you question right now? And a lot of times role model ends up being mom, Mm -hmm. but ultimately coming out like, but my mom's on her phone or on her computer a lot. And I know that's her work, but I get confused because I can't be on mine at the same time. So all of a sudden conflict, conflict starts to arise um, and communication gaps and communication barriers. So just that one theme of authenticity starts to surface all of these other skills that girls are looking for and that moms also are so so desiring to develop with their daughters so it's kind of an interesting exploration of like mother wounds and sister wounds (laughs) and just how right how yeah yeah, how we experience um again the cultural conditioning that sometimes hurts us more than it helps us but we do it because we we've been trained by someone else that this is the way. Yeah. So it's how to, the group is really about how can we rewrite the unwritten rules? It's evolutional guidelines. Yes. Mm -hmm. It's evolutional. Unwritten rules, unwritten guidelines. Mm -hmm. Um, Are there any sort of uh, things in the group where uh, you would give examples to moms of what to look for? Uh, with their daughters if they think that they might be in trouble? Yeah, it's really, that's an amazing question. Um, and one of the things that I have found, uh, I had to learn how to how to talk through this with people, but when I initially started sharing the concept of brave girl, mm-hmm. um, most people assumed that the girls that I was engaging were like, living in poverty from families that were divorced, okay, et cetera, okay. et cetera. All of these negative assumptions okay. about girls who quote unquote need the most help. Oh, okay. And I had to stop and, and get really clear on the fact that I want to work with girls and moms who just want to be their best self. Yeah, right. Exactly. So, so to, to get to a point where, um, for a, a really prime example of our own experiences, mm-hmm. you might be a, a, a mother who's able to give your daughter everything she thinks she wants or needs for healthy development. Mm-hmm. 
Um, but your daughter might get to a point where she's feeling like that's not for her or she's feeling lost or she's feeling burned out. Mm -hmm. So what do you start to look for? You start to look for new patterns and new themes in her life that are inconsistent with previous behaviors, of course, Mm -hmm. or previous thoughts and feelings. Um, And not to say that those are wrong or bad. They're just new and different. So a new conversation has to be had because perhaps this is who she is becoming. I love your approach. Right. Or perhaps it's a warning sign. Could be a warning sign. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Boy, I, I just love this. Um, Your approach is uh, genuine and authentic. And, and, and this is what you're also teaching Mm -hmm. is for these young girls can start to listen to their inner voice. Yeah, absolutely. And And yeah, I was going to say that conversation is so, so refreshing for me. And Mm -hmm. I think brings a lot of hope back because I've been, I have been working with so many women that are deep into their career at a point where their career has taken over. They don't know who they are necessarily. They think they are what their job title is. Um, and they've been yeah, so masculinized in the process that these yeah. girls who still, um, for example, in our last session, these girls are talking about, well, I see myself as a mathematician because it's my favorite thing in school. Yeah. Yet when we start talking about emotions, they can draw their emotions and they can craft stories and poems about their emotions. Mm-hmm. And bring these two divergent worlds together to say, I'm a girl and I'm really good at math and I'm really good at drawing and I'm not going to let either of these things go. Mm -hmm. Because the male counterparts are the ones who are uh, pegged as better in math and and girls better in English. Yeah. Uh, You said something a little while ago that made me think of the word permission you are giving these young girls with the help of their mothers permission to be in their body Mm -hmm. and to feel and to not be afraid to say, I want to be a mathematician or um, I like to draw a picture, whatever it is, Mm -hmm. whatever it is, it's giving uh, girls who are going to be our women, who are going to be women one day and mothers one day, permission to know to start to know who they really are at the core or their essence of their being mm-hmm. yeah it's quite I'm amazing blown away. <laughs> I'm absolutely blown away by this thank you yeah and it's it's been fascinating also to see in certain moments where the girls become the teachers of the adults. Oh yes. Those moments are some of the best. Oh yes. Just incredible. (laughs) I love it. And, Mm -hmm. and, and that's the thing is, and, and most often what I find is that, uh, you know, if, if you pay attention and if you listen and if you are, if, if mothers and fathers are able to make that transition with their child from child to young adult to uh, adult Mm -hmm. and treat them as that, as they go along, because I see my children as my counterparts. Yes, they're my kids, 
but we have very deep and meaningful conversations about different aspects in life because they're a person, they're an adult and I'm not their mother. If they want my advice, I'll give it to them, but I don't hold them to the advice that I give them. Mm-hmm. They're their own person. Yes. And, and it's about, um, I remember uh, when my daughter broke up with me, you know, she, <laughs> you know, she got a boyfriend and she was, breaking up with me and I was hurt but that's what it felt like because they need to put distance between themselves and their mother or their father in order for them to lead their life whether it's a a boy or whether it's something else if they're going off to university there's a breaking up as Mm -hmm. well they don't pick up your phone calls anymore they don't they're not reporting to you anymore by the way right and, 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 and mothers and, and women, um, they also, and I'm glad that you have the mothers involved because they also have to understand that this is the normal part of them, you know, leaving the nest or becoming independent of the uh, person that they are, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's It's been interesting. Something that I keep thinking about is, one of the girls in a recent session was talking about um, an insult that someone made on the bus to her. Mm-hmm. Um, and I said, well, what did you do? And first, first she turned to her brother who's on the bus because she knew her brother would stand up for her. Mm-hmm. Um, and I said, but did you t- tell your mom? Did you talk to your mom about it? And she said, well, my mom's taught me how to be strong. So she, she already taught me to let it like to brush it off my shoulder and just let it go. And I said, but did you tell your mom what the boy said to you? No, well, no, I didn't. I don't think I need to anymore. Right. Cause she's <laughs> tough. She's nine. So she is tough and yeah. she's smart and she knows what to do. And it wasn't until a couple of sessions later, she actually revealed what the boy had said. And it was just very short, very simple, but it was the first cut that she had really received about her body. Okay. And I said, how did it, so how did it make you feel right when he said that? What did you feel? And she just, it wasn't what I expected, but she said, I felt confused because mm-hmm. I thought I was beautiful. I thought I was perfect. And I was like, holy cow, this <laughs> insight from a nine-year-old. Mm-hmm. And, and to say, you know, you can tell your mom how this felt to you. Mm-hmm. And maybe your mom might have something else to help you understand it if it's still confusing you. So she did. And it was just like this beautiful, not an interception, but a beautiful reconnect almost of yes. being vulnerable to say, I'm getting, I, I can be tough. I'm growing up. I'm being my own person, but I can still rely on my mom. Mm-hmm. And then on the flip side, mothers are starting to talk about like I had a tough work day and I know that I can go home and there's a fine line, but I can talk about it. I can talk about how I feel with my daughter without dumping my garbage on her. Exactly. And I was like, whoa, this is like mind blowing. <laughs> it is. Yeah. <laughs> and it is. Mm-hmm. It's a fine line. Um, and, and we will make mistakes learning how to do this recommunication and Developing a new bond, like you said, there's a breakup phase. Oh, yeah. So what's the new relationship then? And it's accepting the new relationship. 
Mm-hmm. Right. And every way and, and every step along, um, it's a new relationship with your children and children are having a new relationship with you mm-hmm. and it's normal. Yeah. It, it is part of the whole process. Uh, what extraordinary discovery have you found in your life? Uh, I think I think the first has to do with what I mentioned earlier about letting go of that competition. And yes. in that letting go process, starting to see that each of us as humans, we are all so, so different. But any of us that really want to do something in the world, when the, when we let go of competition and all of a sudden we learn that there's meaning and purpose in life, <laughs> I think that if we want to make a change, the theme or the common grounding with all of us um, is discovering at a deeper level what that purpose is, how to achieve that purpose, but that ultimately we all want to experience joy. We all want to belong. We all want to be loved (laughs) more Mm -hmm. than any other competitive dream or goal that we've had before. There are these very, very simple grounding principles or things that are, are guiding our hearts to, to keep us connected as, a, as humankind through yes. a certain human experience and a certain condition of being human. So it's not about competing to get there anymore. It's about letting go and accepting our differences so we can belong, so we can yeah. be our authentic self. Beautiful. Just yeah. beautiful. Do you feel that you've been called to your journey? Yes, absolutely. I, th- I think back to when I was a little kid and I always felt different than everyone. I always felt like I could see and hear and pick up on things that nobody else could. And of course, <laughs> then that in inside of us starts to spin into like, maybe I'm crazy. Maybe I don't have any clue what I'm doing here. But as each moment passes or as each day passes, I know more and more, it's like I can sense where I'm going and that I am doing good, but I've started to let go of the dream of what it should look like, (laughs) how it should be delivered and let the insights and the intuiting process take me there. Yeah, totally different than that drive of being an athlete to get somewhere by doing it a certain way. So parallel lines, but completely different processes to achieve it. Mm -hmm. And also uh, letting go of the applauding. Yeah, right. If there's a little flaw, you might lose your team a point. Right. There's a mistake. You might cost your team what's at stake. What's at stake. Yeah. Yeah. So let go of who's watching and who's going to say yay or nay and just do it because it's right because it's part of your path and even if right is wrong in the next moment you learn from it you learn from it yes yes and it's the perfection in the perfectionism in in you uh that you bring to the table and then giving yourself permission that you don't have to be perfect all of the time and um because no one's judging you anymore other than yourself and uh you're the hardest on yourself Mm -hmm. and giving you permission to let that giving yourself permission to let that go this has been an incredible conversation 
We have went on a marvelous journey of which I've learned so much from you. You're an incredible blessing to the world. You're living an extraordinary life or your extraordinary life is uh, what you're living. So I thank you very much for being a guest on the Rhonda Grant show. Thank you so much. This has been absolutely a precious moment. Thank you. Thank you. Theme song for the Rhonda Grant show, Sun on the Water, is composed and performed by my friend, John Park Wheeler. This is Rhonda Grant with the Rhonda Grant show, author of Magical Forces Within, Extraordinary Discoveries in an Ordinary Life, inviting you to look for the magical forces within yourself today and every day. Thanks so much for tuning in. Thanks for tuning in to the Rhonda Grant Show with your host, Rhonda Grant. If you would like to find out more information about Rhonda and her upcoming guests and the work that she does, go to her website, rhondagrantauthor.com. That's rhondagrantauthor.com. Digital Audio Health by... Cymatrax.